You're listening to Conversations, brought to you by TechSquare ATL. All right, welcome to the Humday Exchange. I am your host, Scott Henderson, a.k.a. Scotty Hendo on the interwebs. Now, normally we record, we record in front of a live audience in TechSquare, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene, but today... I'm excited that we're bringing the show and this episode to the heart of the A3C Hip Hop Festival. Humpty Exchange is a collaborative effort of Sandbox ATL, ATDC, and Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business. Um, we're going to call this episode the Blockchain Mixtape. And we're going to talk with a, uh, three different experts who know a thing or two about the future of music technology and the future of business models when it comes to music. Now, if you're listening to our show for the first time, here's how the program goes. First, I'm going to invite each of our guests into the hot seat for a one-on-one -on -one conversation focused on their perspective. That way, we can go deep where they are. And then once all three of them come through, I'm going to gather them for a roundtable conversation where they get to ask each other questions. I get to throw a couple grenades into the group as well. And then we'll finish with a town hall style Q&A. We have a live audience here. You guys want to applaud to make sure that we, we know that there are, there are people or at least somebody with a really good sample of people clapping, one of the two. Um, so at the end, our audience will be able to answer Town Hall's question and answer service. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there, see how it goes. So all right, let's uh, invite our first guest into the hot seat. I welcome DJ Provost. Great to see you again, Scott. Yeah, AKA Peter Evans. Now, Peter, um, I'm going to read your, your Twitter bio for your DJ Provost handle. Uh, music and tech trend, tech trend watcher, just learning the DJ trade. Early days, EDM, drum and bass, deep house, minimal, trance, electronic dub, world trap, and a PhD from MIT. Just kind of throwing that in there. Now, Peter uh, is a partner with a global consulting firm as well. Uh, in the past two years, served as the vice president at the Center for Global Enterprise, um, where he was responsible for the center's research agenda and, and focused uh, on platforms, uh, the idea of platform, platform strategy. And prior to that, he was in the world of uh, energy, uh, doing key strategy and market intelligence at G GE and the Cambridge Energy Research Associates. So, um, DJ Provost, tell me more about the world of DJing that you've gotten into. What is what is that world like? What have you been learning? Is this your midlife crisis? My wife thinks so, but uh, it, it's 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 fantastic. Um, I think that changing from sorry listening to music to being able to. Uh, pull things together, mash up different music, think about patterns, uh, how music works together, um, opens up a whole new uh, venue. You listen to music differently, and you have to learn a bunch of new technology. Um, and that's opened my eyes to some of the challenges and opportunities that the folks who are in the creative industry uh, confront. Um, music, uh, technology is their friend, but it also can be uh, quite challenging to know uh, what's going on. Um, and also, I found that it um, related more than I had imagined to the work I've been doing on platforms. So let's talk more about that. I mean, you've you've dived deep in platforms. I mean, people throw the word platform around. What what are you talking about? Let's talk practically. What what if you're out there? Someone's listening to this. Uh, what would they know as a platform? Sure. So there are a bunch of different platforms that have gone become very very large. So uh, a company like uh, Facebook runs a platform that has 1.3 billion people interacting on that platform. So you have, on a platform, two sides. You have the, uh, the users, and then you have uh, others that you're bringing together in a process, and the platform creates that um, opportunity for that connectivity. It can also be a commercial um, activity like eBay, where you're buying and selling things. But we also find platforms in music. So companies like Spotify have emerged. Uh, to serve that function. Uh, I think Spotify claims that it matches about 3 million artists now with 100 million listeners. And it's become a very uh, powerful force uh, in the music business. And as we look across the music business, we see these platforms emerging um, both to match listeners to artists, but do other things um, as well. So in, in our conversations, our face-to-face, you know, -face, in-person, real-world kind of conversations, you've kind of really helped me understand the idea of platforms as being a place where um, it, the person or the organization building this platform is really enabling uh, both sides of the market to find each other. Is that, is that a simple that, way of saying yep. something? So a key function of platforms is this matchmaking process, and the, the, um, the rise of digital technologies has really uh, enabled that matching process to happen in a more efficient manner. 
So in the past, you know, um, matching somebody who is listening to a piece of music to the person creating that music, you know, you had to go to a store and things like that. Now with Spotify, you can just find it, you know, very, very, very quickly. Um, and it also has other features like recommendation engines that uh, harness data off of that platform. So it enhances the capability. Um, so the platform is both the matchmaking, but all these ancillary services that then can be brought. Now, Spotify now connects to artists, and artists can create pages now on Spotify. It also link you to concerts. So it's opening up a whole set of channels, and you'll be amazed. I think in five years from now, Spotify will have all sorts of capabilities we hadn't imagined. And the core of that is that matching process. But it's also the network effects. The more parties that participate in the platform, the more powerful that platform becomes. Hmm. Yeah, so like today, I came from TechSquare to uh, the, the, the Loudermilk Center where we are now. used Uber. So Uber yeah. was my platform that I was able and to. So platforms are, are, in fact, becoming um, a key component of the economy. Um, they used to be these interesting little things that happen on the side, but now they're um, really becoming a large and important part of offering a whole new range of services. You mentioned Uber in the transportation space. We can go into lodging and mention Airbnb. Um, in uh, e-commerce, um, obviously, you've got eBay and a bunch of Amazon, um, but you're seeing the incumbents like Walmart now waking up and realizing, we, we better build a platform as well. So it's not only startups and kind of the emerging tech companies that are in this space, but uh, the incumbents in the transportation, you know, Ford and GM are all looking at platform plays as well. So it's uh, becoming a, a major area. And entertainment, obviously, is big, as is publishing for books. So uh, you look across the board, you're seeing platforms. In fact, some people call it the emerging platform economy. So help me understand in terms of you, you, now that you've gotten your hands into the world of, uh, of DJing, what are you seeing? Uh, why do you, as you stated that that music, the music industry, you think is going to be kind of the early uh, adopter yeah. so here. There's, Why? there's two things. One is, you know, music is fantastic. And uh, learning how to DJ just opens your eyes to uh, all sorts of new ways of thinking about music. Um, but it also has uh, relevance to the strategy work that I do because um, music is, uh, is a space in which you see early adoption of technology and a lot of... Um, kind of trial and error um, activity with uh, experimentation around the technologies. Um, and it can be um, transformed into a digital, you know, it's almost pure digital now. Mm, and mm -hmm. so um, the ability for these technologies to really sweep into this space is very large. But you can learn a lot about other sectors by studying it. So I track mm. a couple of different things. One is uh, the rise of artificial intelligence and how it's going to begin to transform music on a whole host of ways. Um, both in terms of writing songs, uh, personal assistants that will uh, identify songs that you would really like, and that's going to get better and better and better. Well, in a way, we already see that with, like, say, Amazon. Exactly. It does all their recommendations, right? That was right? the other one I was going to mention, which is um, AI is now moving from kind of uh, interesting R&D projects and, and, and things that are happening in universities into the home with uh, the advent of Alexa. And we're going to see other vendors, uh, big ones like Google and Apple, offering those as well. There's another set of technologies, virtual reality, which is moving into uh, music as well, which is very interesting. So you had uh, your core fans that would you know <laughs> make the effort to come to a concert. But these technologies are now going to allow um, others another tier that um, isn't able to come to experience not exactly that, but pretty close yeah. to. Uh, the, like, uh, like last night, last night uh, um, I was at the the Prophets of Rage concert um, and uh, pulled out my phone and did a Facebook Live video for people who weren't able to be there to yeah. see well, the magic of Public Enemy Live Rages Nation, Against the Machine is, and Cypress Hill on yeah. one stage, which just blew my mind. It was just an amazing experience. But for somebody to throw on the goggles and see that either real time or after the fact and be. Be well, part of that. Yeah, and this isn't just small stuff. You have big companies getting into this space. So Live Nation, which is the largest uh, organizers of concerts, not just in the United States, but globally, um, has formed a joint venture with Next VR and Citibank hmm. um, to stream 10 concerts. 
And so that's going to be an interesting early indicator of uh, how quickly this uh, picks up. And uh, you could see this explode. Um, and so a whole new genre of watching concerts through virtual reality. And, and most importantly, because this is the thing I think that through the uh, Arab, is, you know, we, we are looking at an analog piece of paper that you, know, you helped create uh, for us, which is the you know, kind of the evolution of digital media, digital music platforms. It's like the idea of Napster to um, uh, iMusic to Pandora to Amazon Echo to going on. The thing that I think everyone, every artist has been struggling with is how do I get paid? Where's, how's the dollars flow? So you mentioned the word blockchain, and that's the blockchain mixtape uh, inspiration for this, this episode. What is blockchain, and how does that fit into the thing? Well, just to step back for a second, uh, technology has two forces or two effects. One is to enable more decentralization. So my ability to play around with DJing, uh, would have been harder in the past. I would have to buy a you know tons of vinyl. I'd had to go to a store. Oh yeah, just watch, just watch the get down, and just, you'll see how how hard yeah, it was to, to now actually. Now there are DJ pools, and I can download a ton of music. Um, you know, I have to pay for it, but uh, the the ability to quickly ramp up and have capabilities to do what a DJ would have taken a fair amount of time and investment to do. So the barriers. Technology reduces barriers to entry. So there are going to be a lot more people in this field, or at least capable of doing it, enabled by technology. On the other hand, uh, technology tends to centralize. And these platforms have tend to have winner-take-all outcomes because of the network effects. The more people that participate, and once those networks become very, very large, it'd be very hard to unseat. Spotify right hmm. now. Right? So the the, so the strategic the strategic objective is to grow the the network so large that it's it's hard for people to leave that network. Well, there's a lot of new capability and value that is created the larger the platform mm -hmm. because you have more ability to match and exchange and, and things like that, and you can build these ancillary services on top of it, um, and that's fabulous for an artist. But artists should be very cognizant of those platform dynamics i know they tend to focus and they want to focus on the music and the creative process but thinking about the ecosystem that you exist and are, are participating in and which one you want to participate in and where that ecosystem is going and is it in your interest so that gets you back to the blockchain question which is um, how do you keep track of ip in this world and there are new technologies like blockchain that are emerging that um, offer potentially ways of 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 tracking and verifying uh, and securing um, what they call smart contracts around pieces of IP in a way that wasn't possible in the past, right? So that's very exciting as an opportunity, but the question is, is how is that industry going to evolve? Are you gonna have lots of players decentralized? In fact, we've got a participant in our panel, I'd love to get their uh, views on this, which is, are we seeing a world in which there are gonna be lots of players that um, startups that are going to offer these services and, you know, the artist is going to have to figure out which one or are we going to see consolidation to a couple? You know, you think of, of uh, payments. You know, we, we had lots of banks offering cards, but now that industry is consolidated down into like four, right? Visa, MasterCard, uh, um, you know, and there's a couple others. So the question is, wh which way is this industry going to evolve? Are we going to see lots of decentralized players, or is it going to consolidate down mm. into a few uh, major players? I think it's a good uh, stopping point for the hot Thank seat. Yeah, where, where do people find you on the interwebs? How can they find you? Sure. So uh, I've got a Twitter feed, um, and I post uh, regularly on technology trends that are happening. So you can find me at DJ uh, underscore underscore provost. provost yeah. Nope. That's the best way to find you, That's and then the all the great knowledge you got. So, I, thank you. Well, thank you, everyone, for. I mean, thank you. I should say, uh, Peter, DJ Provost. Uh, now, moving into the next person in the hot seat, we'll welcome our our professor, Professor Freeman, Jason Freeman. Uh, grew up in Miami, went to school at places like Yale and in Columbia. Uh, composer of music, right? Yes. Um, and uh, been here uh, at uh, Georgia Tech for. 12 years? That's correct. Uh, professor of music uh, and an artist practice and scholarly research uh, focused on the using technology to engage, diver to engage diverse audiences. Um, involved with K through 12, involved with university, with MOOCs, the multi massively, what's MOOCs? Massive open online courses. Yeah, I always get it wrong with the, uh, the, the, the game one. Um, um, uh, but dang, you've performed at Carnegie Carnegie Hall, is that right? That's correct. Dang, yes. uh, all kinds of stuff published by Universal Edition, broadcast on public radio's performance today. 
Man, commissioned by the National Endowment for Arts, you are a guy that creates, right? This is you're you're in the world. So tell me, what what do you what do you how do you well, describe to people on uh, so, so in the I, world at a cocktail party what you do? I am a guy who creates, but I'm a guy who really cares about other people creating too. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the places I, I, I often start uh, looking at things is is that same National Endowment of the Arts that's commissioned a couple pieces for me. They do they do they do this census data every five years on public participation in the arts, and they look at uh, uh, they look at how many people are actually playing a musical instrument or using technology to make music versus how many people are listening to music or attending concerts. And there's this huge divide between the producers and the consumers in our in our society. Um, you know, so we might have 70, 80 percent of American adults go uh, listen to music in some way every year. And only one percent of them are making music with technology. Only seven or eight percent of them are uh, playing an instrument at least once a year or s- even singing in the shower. Hmm. Um, and so um, this is a, an incredibly absurd and artificial divide here. That there's this um, there's always going to be professional musicians, but but we're losing this kind of amateur music making uh, class. And so, it, it, when, when when did you see that happening? Because I mean, I, I think of like the field work that uh, back in the '30s, uh, when uh, during um, uh, you know the, the the Roosevelt era, and sending out people who were just recording uh, all the the folk music across the country. And this is some of my favorite uh, albums to listen to are those collections where it seemed like. Music was a part of daily life. I mean, think about people getting together and singing songs, uh, having just various jam sessions just to kill time because we didn't have little digital yeah, devices. Well, well it's, it's, Is this a recent phenomenon in terms no, of mu- in, a, the human history? It's a gradual phenomenon that's happened over about the last century that's um, really related to the rise of recording technology. Hmm. So the easier it is to not just make music, but to distribute it and to distribute it now on a global scale you know, to your pocket instantly, um, the less motivation there is for you to get in there and make something yourself as opposed to just listening to something someone else has made. And so um, my artistic work, which tends towards the strange and experimental, uses technologies to, to get people to make music together. So like that piece at Carnegie Hall, we gave light sticks to everyone in the audience and they were waving them around and it was generating um, kind of these colored light signals to musicians and orchestra to change what they were playing during the concert. Um, so there, there's all kinds of things like that that I do in my own artistic practice. Um, but uh, we also care deeply about getting getting young people to make music and, and, and engaging them in those experiences. So a lot of my work right now is focused on a, a tool called EarSketch that we've developed with a focus on K-12 students, um, where they actually learn computer science uh, and coding through making music. So there's this free web-based tool. It looks like uh, kind of if GarageBand and your favorite you know, software development environment got together and had a baby. It's what it looks like. Um, so it borrows design <laughs> features from, you know, Ableton Live, or Pro Tools and things like that, but also from uh, um, from things like Eclipse or, you know, or other, other integrated development environments. And, and students code in a regular programming language uh, like Python or JavaScript, but they do it in a multi-track uh, kind of digital audio workstation environment. So learning about all this stuff together and, and learning one domain is motivating the other. So... Um, so they're getting engaged in coding, but they're also getting engaged in music making at the same time. Mm. Um, so, so that's that's where a lot of my focus has been is this idea of, of kind of evangelizing the the act of music making. Um, so, um, uh, so people like uh, DJ Provost over here, who you know, who are finding it fascinating to get into this. Well, what's what's the first thing that kind of excites them? That gets them into you know, flipping their mindset from being just a consumer of music into a creator of music. Mm. And so. Um we were talking uh, in prior to uh, uh, sitting and hitting record here that the, the idea of music being created in different ways, not just collaboratively, but like help us understand those of us who haven't been studying the uh, the evolution of music technology. What's happening now? What's what should we be aware of? Well, let me let me jump back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm teaching a course in the history of electronic music this semester, so I'm thinking very historically. But but let's jump back to the 1950s. Okay, um, University of Illinois. Um, Jar and Hiller, Leonard Isaacson, first music, or amongst the first music, composed by a computer. It's a string quartet. WQXR, the classical music station in, uh, in New York City, uh, gets their resident string quartet to play it, it's broadcast. Um, they encode into it the rules of counterpoint, and they say, and they, they vary those rules in each movement. They just say, 
go to the computer. And this was this huge computer, the Iliac, like, you know, the same size as the room that we're sitting in today. Which is a pretty large um, lecture hall that you know, we're in. We were there. talking about program with punch cards, all that kind of stuff. It's composing music. Um, and there's been this this theme, not not just in the academy, but you know, but RCA, their you know, their motivation in the nineteen fifties for getting into building, you know, some of the very first synthesizers was was to automatically compose like advertising jingles, uh, or T V soundtracks or things like that. Raymond Scott, independent ad, you know, ad composer, is extremely successful, built all of his own devices to try to try to address those same kinds of things in the fifties, sixties, seventies. So we see this 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 dream that's been there for a long time you know, can computers not just help us make our own music um, not just about humans controlling computers but, but can the computers themselves become intelligent in some way can the machines compose for themselves and we're seeing a real resurgence of this in the last few years google with their project magenta sony has some really active research in this um, looking at kind of new developments in deep learning see what well, you know what can we do now um, that we couldn't do 20 or 40 or 50 years ago um, can we really um, get computers to learn from a corpus of a uh, you know, huge database of existing music, figure out what makes that music tick, and write something that, uh, that could pass as, you know, as, as, as good music. Hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and, and these different companies, we can conjecture what their interests are. Um, you know, certainly with Google, you look at all the, the, you know, the videos on YouTube that are just crying out to have soundtracks. Um, it's a lot cheaper to have a computer compose those than to pay royalties to somebody to use um, use some existing music. Um, and there's an opportunity there to to really you know connect what's happening in, in the visuals to, to really do film scoring uh, in a in a in a generative way on a computer in an intelligent way. So so there's 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 all of a sudden this isn't some you know some hobby of academics and kind of you know obscure. Uh, you know, outcasts like Raymond Scott, or, or you know, they're trying to, to, you know, you know, address this dream. It's it's large multinational corporations that all of a sudden have an economic interest in this question of can computers compose. So I think over the next five years or so, we're going to see some really dramatic advances in, in in what can happen in this field of algorithmic composition, and and it's going to bring some questions uh, uh, into the the world of music, uh, uh, professional musicians. Uh, Music composers and producers, and creators, uh, about what what the relationship is between the artificially intelligent and the human intelligent. Is this a collaborative role um, where um, the machine is working as a kind of a composer's assistant to help generate ideas or refine ideas, or carry out some of the low level details that we might not want to bother ourselves with, like mastering uh, a track or something like that, or is it something that's really going to replace uh, key roles in the in the chain uh, that we use? Uh, in, in the music industry today. Hmm. So how did how did you get in this world? What brought you from Miami to the world of uh, music technology and history? I think, you know, I, in my childhood, I was always interested in, in, in music and in, in coding. Um, I started doing you know, MIDI sequencing and stuff with the available music technology out there in the early 90s um, when I was a teenager. And uh, and then uh, I tried to pursue these things when I, when I got to college, uh, and they ended up in kind of separate boxes. I always thought I was going to go work at Microsoft, actually. Hmm. That was going to be my life. Uh, and I had the next summer... generation of Mr. Clippet. Is that what you're? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I, had, I had a summer internship at Microsoft in college, and it was the worst summer of my life. <laughs> it was so incredibly boring. I just I couldn't imagine a future for myself there. I, I got back uh, to college. I switched my major to music because uh, I figured I could always fall back on the tech stuff. Hmm. Maybe that was a really uh, presumptuous thing of me to assume back then. And and little by little over my my career, I think I found ways that the computing and the music come together for me in interesting ways and 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 those models are really about you know where the technology can enable people to to either you know to to approach music making in ways they might not be able to otherwise or to approach collaborating around music mm. um, and, and and creating music together uh, in ways that might not be possible without the technology hmm. interesting yeah it, it, interesting because I've got a friend Jeb Banner from Indianapolis who's a, a coder but also a musician and he's also he's Help point out how many how many folks who are software developers are also really good musicians. Is there something there? Is it pattern recognition? What what is it that the similarities between music and and the world of uh, software? I think there's something very logical about both, um, but there's also this room for creativity. It's, I, I was actually listening to an interview this weekend, and it was this exact same question with a 13 year old girl who uh, is a great uh, uh, musician and also a, a computer scientist and. And she also pointed out that they, they both have um, 
you know, they're governed by logic and rules and technique and, and, and design patterns and all this kind of stuff. But there's incredible room for creativity and expression in, in both domains. I, I don't think we realize that enough with code. Um, you know, it's easy to realize that with music. Um, but code can be beautiful, uh, too. And it can be, uh, you know, it can be incredible the way something is put together. You know, a great example of that is, is I don't know if it's still done anymore, but... Um, there's, there's always been this annual contest, the International Obfuscated C Code Contest for programmers in the C programming language. And they basically try to come up with the ugliest, most unreadable code in the C programming language as possible. And this is C is a crazy, you know, kind of older programming language that you do all kinds of things you really shouldn't do. But if you do all these things together, you end up with these incredibly creative um, and kind of deliberately un, you know, Unreadable, uh, but 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 incredibly original ways of accomplishing very simple things, hmm. um, like a Rube Goldberg of code, huh? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Exactly. Uh, that, that's a great analogy. Um, so so we see this in, in in both domains, and I think uh, you know this combination of the creative and the logical. Well, uh, where where can people find you on the interwebs? Where's a good place to find out about Jason Freeman? You can find me at jasonfreeman.net, uh, and you can find our learning environment for coding and music making at earsketch.com. Gatech.edu. Nice. Well, looking forward to having you back in as part of the roundtable and then the audience questions as well. So uh, thank you very much for Jason. Uh, time. I'm going to get our third guest into the hot seat. Uh, who uh, We're drafting him from the audience, actually. This, this is why you come to A3C. You get exposure. Uh, we've got a gentleman here who um, just started, we were talking with him. We said, you got to come watch the podcast. And we sat down. I realized... My third guest is not here, so I need a third guest. And he, what he described to me was like, this is perfect. What a, what a great transition. So, Jabril uh, Suleiman, uh, you are a man of entrepreneurship, right? You've, you've, you're coming, you're Pensacola, Florida right now, right? Right. And your company is in the world of, you're the president of Paycell. Right. right. Paycell Co., which is number 484 out of the Inc. 500, which is a huge deal, man. Yes, That's for 2016. Wow, ah, 2016, Inc. 500 company. Um so you're building niche e-commerce platforms. You're in that world. Right. You're about ready to get that sold off and take all of your 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 largesse of money and put it in the world of music. It sounds like. So what's your new venture that you're building? That's the goal. Uh, you you mentioned uh, uh, just being an entrepreneur. I am a lifelong entrepreneur. I don't think I've ever worked for anyone as of drinking age. You're unemployable, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 35, so I've literally been an entrepreneur since I was maybe. 20, I believe. So, um, so what, what strings of businesses have you been building? I, I, literally, I, I dropped out of college to repair phones at the flea market that turned into a wireless store. Uh, that wireless store turned into another store. That store turned into a problem. That prop, the solution to that problem turned into my tech company. Dang. So uh, just to keep it short and sweet there. So I've been in tech for about five years now. And yes, I am going to sell my company, uh, move from Pensacola to Atlanta, and to put all of my eggs into the basket of a platform, and we talk about platforms, uh, called rapfeatures.com. So this, now this is a platform that's going to help monetize artists collaborating. So we're taking... Our first two conversations bring it into an actual commercial application. Right, right. So there's an economy behind uh, verses or features. So when you have Lil Wayne featuring on a Drake song, there's an economy. There is a um, an exchange of, of course, the, the actual IP, the intellectual property, which is the recorded verse, and money, of course. And so that happens on a smaller level among independent artists as well. So um, I've been exposed to hip hop all of my life and I've been around hip hop artists, rappers that they uh, want another rapper on their song. So they'll meet up at the studio, they exchange money that uh, feature, featured artists will record their verse and the deal is done. But uh, allowing that to happen online, it's kind of taken its own uh, way of, of evolving, and that usually wraps around uh, contacting someone on Twitter and a PayPal, MoneyGram, Western Union, or Green Dot transfer. So this is happening. This is this is a you say underground economy that's happening. There's no platform to make it easier. So there's it's all these bits and for people who want to do this, they have to really put a lot of effort to it. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, then and, and there's there's a way right now that's usually handled through the artists themselves or you know management uh, on the higher levels. The labels, of course, they have a routine, they have a, a procedure of um, 
of being able to, of course, uh, collaborate together. Of course, that includes lawyers and managers and artists and all. But for uh, unsigned artists to be able to do that, and especially to do it across the country or across state, and now, um, uh, based on my research, to do it internationally, it's hard to do. Hmm. It's virtually, it's it's possible, but there's so many uh, points of failure that's involved in the process where the verse or the recorded vocal that's going to be sent back to the artist is actually wanting the feature. It may not be sent back in a timely manner. Uh, there may be an issue with the actual payment process in particular. So Rap Features solves that by providing a marketplace, a platform that allows artists to come together to um, to collaborate on songs and and it facilitates that whole payment process to make sure that uh, you know everyone's protected in that and that and that's important and, and so where where you're at in the stage of this but you've got a, a, a minimally viable product we have together. an MVP we have a proof of concept that's uh, the site is up we have about we have about 600 users right now. These are different artists. People are joining every day. Uh, we're at the point now where we're going uh, to uh, enact the fundraising round. Uh, and so we're gonna, looking for capital. Uh, we're looking for... Now you're uh, moving and shaking. You're <laughs> eating 500 selling that one off, going out and raising some money. Oh, we're looking for capital. We're you're hustling up here at A3C, that's for sure. That's Peter, good. Peter, <clears throat> uh, we're looking for co-founders. <laughs> or we're looking for sweat equity, of course. And then we're looking for those partner artists, uh, partner artists that will be the face. So um, I, and if, as an example, uh, Bevel is a company, Tristan Walker. Mm -hmm. uh, he has now Nas as that spokesperson for that shaving company. Uh, equipment company that uh, which is bevel where we're going to look for that that artist or those group of artists that will be on the part platform as a partner that also were um driving engagement hmm. and use of the platform also yeah definitely while you're out here check out the smash folks coming in james andrews and his crew and trey carter i think they they love to here. talk to you yeah i'd I'm, I'm, love to talk to you as i'm well. hustling and networking you so better do that uh, one, right? well, they got some good programs tomorrow um, it'll be coming in Thursday. So if you're, you're around, make that happen. So what is it, what has it been most surprising? I guess, let me step back. Why are you solving this problem? Why do you think you should solve this problem? What is it that you saw that you figured that was, there's the pain point you were seeing and why you thought you had the balm that was going to make that pain go away? Oh my goodness. I look, I used to make beats. I used to shoot music videos. I owned a mixtape store. Uh, I had a mixtape series, kind of like the DJ drama Gangsta Grill series. I had it. It was called, I'm from the Panhandle of Pensacola. So it was called Pyrex Panhandle. Mm. And so, uh, I've been in hip hop, um, I've been around rap all my life. And so for my family members, uh, you know, trying to, to, to get out there and, and, and all also. It's just, and then from my experience of building out e-commerce platforms and understanding that, you know, there's a commodity that, commodity there and there's an exchange of money for those goods or that product or service. And hey, if, if you bring those I'm two worlds together, you bring that e-commerce with with your background and understanding of the, the, how hip hop mag, uh, magic happens. Huh? Yeah, and just understanding from a smaller, from that lower level that mm -hmm. hey, this happens uh, within cities, but then it happens online as well, and that exchange of verses or that that exchange of features, and you know, just how do we build a platform around that? How do we regulate it, and how do we scale it? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're working on. That's, oh, that's going to be the goal. Well, then, how do how do people find you on the interwebs? Um, I'm at that dude Jabril uh, on Twitter, D A T D U D E J I B R I L, or you can reach me at jabrilsuleiman.com, J I B R I L S U L A I M A N.com. Fabulous. Well, thank you, everyone. A round of applause, everyone, for Jabril stepping up, coming up, making it happen. We're going to have you swing around. We're going to resituate our stage. Uh, those of you listening at home, uh, just pretend that we're moving chairs and uh, stuff and microphones around so you can play around with us at home. So now, section two, segment two of the show. Um, this is a fun part. This is where uh, those who just survived the hot seat uh, get to uh, jump in with each other and ask each other questions. Uh, and I get to stir the pot as well. Um, and those of you in the audience, a lot of audience, uh, make sure you uh, come up with a good question. We're going to have time for maybe uh, three, three or so questions, so we'll make that happen. All right, so... Uh, you guys got to hear each other. Uh, got to share a little thing. What's the uh, what's the thing on your head? What, what big question do you have, Peter? Well, looking at platforms, one of the big issues is trust. 
and should uh, folks participate in it or not and you know what's involved so I'd be interested in how you establish trust on your platform and then kind of a technical question of what do you use to, to support your payment system and I like that as well Jason you think about it in terms of the trust that you you're doing collaborative music based. so both of you guys what perspectives do you have on that well you know part of it we're in a social media age so it's uh, being the face of the company itself and, you know, with the ability to to tout now that I, hey, I'm an Inc. 500 guy as well, um, that I know what I'm doing. And, you know, so that's part of it. Uh, that's important to put a face to the company, of course. And then just partnerships as well. As we build uh, alliances, uh, those alliances, those partnerships will, you know, legitimize the platform um, as things, as time uh, evolves. What about you, Jason? Um, yeah, I'll speak from the perspective of our, our K-12 platform, EarSketch. Um, we had a kind of surprising issue come up because, you know, working with students that mostly knew nothing about either coding or making music, and they make their first song, and we say, well, share it on, you know, on our, our platform with, with all the other students so they can see what you did and learn from it. And a lot of them said, no, someone's going to steal it and make millions of dollars off of it and leave me with nothing. Um, and they say this with a totally straight face, all of them. And so... Um, you know, that might be a legitimate concern, but we, we want them to be able to share their stuff. And so what we actually had to do was, was, was build in some education. Um, so part of the curriculum that our, our teachers teach now is about copyright law, um, about creative commons and the opportunities that affords to people to regulate specifically how things can be shared and to keep certain restrictions while, or rights while giving up others. Um, and then also this kind of notion, because we give them 4,000 loops from Young Guru and Richard Devine, um, that they're just giving to our students to have, you know, they created specifically for our project and they're, you know, given out uh, to our students to have fun with. And so we, we talk about, well, you know, you got all this material that you're able to use, you don't have to pay a penny for. Um, don't you want to at least share in a non-commercial way what you've done and with other people who are also learning at the same time so you can all learn from each other. And I think building that education component has been really important uh, to, to shifting that attitude from the students we've seen. Yeah, isn't that interesting in terms of the, the base uh, human need for that trust? I mean, the collaboration only comes from when you have a certain level of trust. And Right. So, I, I'm sorry. I do want to address that other part of that question about the, the types of payments. And uh, that is important uh, because my previous experience in the, the, the payments industry and understanding that part of things, you know, uh, whether, you, whether you're processing uh, these the exchange of money through credit cards, um, there's a high fraud and risk rate there involved with that. Uh, one of the things that we're looking to do is build in uh, Dwala's API. Dwala allows for ACH clearinghouse transfers, bank-to-bank -bank transfers with minimum transaction fees involved. That allows for a um, transfer of funds, of course, with, uh, with minimum uh, chances of some type of chargeback or fraudulent activity because you're actually linking up bank accounts there. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing to ensure that, you know, there's protection there and then there's uh, legitimate transfers happening uh, as well. So Jason, what's on your mind? What, what questions come to your, you're listening to the, your fellow guests here? I, so I, I'm wondering about this. So trust is one part of it, but I'm, I'm also wondering about, so um, one purpose of a network or platform is to connect people together mm -hmm. so that they can meet each other, they can mm -hmm. transact business or, 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 or social engagement or whatever else it might be. Um, but it, in the case of music creation, there's another part, which is the mechanics of how the music actually gets made together. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we, we've gone from a day of sending CDs or hard drives to the mail. Um, there's a multiplicity of platforms that have emerged online over the last decade to try to smooth out this process. Um, uh, and I'm wondering if, uh, Jabril, if that's part of the pain point that you're trying to address with your platform, or if it's really just about connecting payments. And, and, and either way, kind of what, what you see as, as the, the barriers um, to people actually making music online together um, in, in the way that, uh, you know, that, that you're envisioning on rockfeatures.com. Um, you know, what, are, what, are what are the difficulties that are keeping people from working together remotely? Right, right. I think a lot of those barriers have come down as, uh, you know, with increased uh, bandwidth speeds on Internet access uh, to be able to transfer large files. You know, that that's a barrier that is uh, has uh, has been reduced over time. Mm -hmm. um, but then also with uh, companies like Dropbox, you know, having a robust API, you know, allows us to link in and, and, and utilize and piggyback off of their platform so that we're not using 
uh, server uh, bandwidth and all for, for transferring files. So um, to be able to allow for a collaboration of music, maybe um, a synchronized collaboration of it, it's, it's not that case with rap features because you're, you have one person that's providing that. Now, uh, hopefully at the end of the day, of course, they're gonna, there is going to be a completed song from having that one feature placed onto the, the, the song of that other person, that buyer artist. Um, and so that's going to be the goal there in that case. And so having a solid transfer method through like a Dropbox integration, I think that's reduced the, the risk and has, and has increased that uh, ability for that collaborative effort. Peter, what about, what's your thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, experimenting with the different technologies is really key. You know, I, I was thinking about this collaborative process, and there's another um, platform that's quite interesting called Duolingo. And what that platform does is it teaches, it, it creates an opportunity for people to learn a language. But in the process, um, they can also help monetize that platform. And the way that they do that is that they have the lesson, and then after the lesson, they can apply their new learnings to do um, little translations. And Duolingo captures those translations and sells them. So CNN actually uses Duolingo platform. So it might be interesting when, uh, with respect to um, the soundtracks that you were talking about and the need for um, um, kind of a, a more efficient way, you could actually create a platform where you're helping people learn music, but the fruits of their effort can actually help pay for those lessons. So you can actually, Duolingo is a free service, but it generates work and it's actually a very successful platform. So what's interesting about platforms is you don't necessarily have to monetize it in a direct way. You can find other ways of actually creating the, the, the way to capture the value of the platform. I think that's one of the things that we want to do with, uh, especially with rap features, is build those partnerships, additional ways to, uh, to supplement the, the site as well. Uh, you, you talked about uh, the communication aspect of just artists even meeting up on the site and all. Uh, there's a show, it's a great show if you haven't watched it, if you're in the startup space, it's called Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, it's on uh, AM, uh, AMC, I believe, the same, uh, episode, the same uh, channel as Walking Dead. And uh, they talk about the early startup space uh, in Silicon Valley, and it's a, dr it's a dramatic show. And they were talking about, they were building out the initial form of eBay. And they were talking about how it was a BB BMS, uh, BBMS community at first. And then they started talking and they started exchanging um, uh, information or uh, about for commodities and that's, that started up the first eBay. And so one of the things that we're looking at doing is right now we have artists talking to each other. So we're monitoring uh, those conversations to find out what are they talking about? What are other services that the artists themselves may inadvertently suggest to us as a feature, two rap features that is an amenity so that we can build in a way to, to Create those feedback. Com yeah, commoditize yeah. it. Exactly. Well, let's, uh, let's move to the, the third segment, which uh, we're running towards the end of our, our hour here um, of, of amazing conversation. This has been fun so far. I, I'm going to open it up to the, the crowd. So this is another, not only by showing up to A3C and coming out here, do you get on the show? like on the spot, but you actually uh, can ask questions. So uh, we've got a queue over here and we're going to go, uh, so go ahead and introduce who you are, what your, what your, your, your hustle is and what your question is. Hey guys. <clears throat> Whoa. Hey guys, my name is Jack Preston. Um, my hustle is uh, music, business and technology. So this, this panel is actually, um, is actually like a dream. I, I'm really geeking out on all of, all of the stuff that part you guys are talking about. Part of an amazing podcast, digital Good times. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm a part of a team called Digital Good Times. We also do a podcast and we have a platform where we um, look at the intersecting uh, points between music and technology. Um, this is my seventh year as a performer uh, and an artist here at A3C. And um, also, I guess I get to be a speaker um, with uh, Digital Good Times as well. And so with um, each element um, that each of you guys were bringing to the table, what kept coming to mind for me was um, this thought of how can you know independent musicians um, operate kind of in the way that uh, startups are operating right now where they don't have to be dependent on like kind of a larger you know system or a larger monster they can actually uh, function independently do you guys see any ways where um, 
they will be able to do this by utilizing any of your tools? Or do you believe that it will become something where they will kind of get sucked into, you know, uh, ate up by the beast, if you will, or by the monster, and they just kind of have to succumb to a larger industry? What do you think, DJ Provost? You're an independent artist, uh, and you see the, the what's the possibility? And I'd love to hear, Jason, your thoughts, too. I think that uh, some platforms can be your friend and enable you in, in ways that you wouldn't be able to reach the audience that you're trying to reach or to be able to transaction, do collaboration at a cost that uh, is, is possible. So I yeah, think that's, that's what I've been smart. hearing here is that everything's been so, so broken it. down that you just to be human and be able to create, you don't need to get in the huge broadcast era of having all these big, large computers and, the, and the, all the broadcast antennas. It sounds like we're, the friction's being lowered. It is the trans. I mean, that's what platforms do, and that's why they're so successful. Is they they, they crush those transaction costs. So I think it's uh, being smart about um, leveraging the platforms. Um, there's a lot of uh, platforms that are actually uh, premium-based models at the beginning, and so you can uh, ride on those. If you get bigger, and you're, you know, um, then you know you may have to play. But I, right now, I think it's. Um, there's lots of opportunities to take advantage of platforms without being uh, completely disadvantaged. When you get up to the Rihanna level, then you may want to think about creating your own platform, and then you're in a, in a different uh, league. But I think for the small artist, I think uh, at least my view is is that uh, there's lots of opportunities to, to take advantage of the technology. Ryan Leslie has a platform that he's created a, a tool called uh, Super Superphone. And it, mm-hmm. it allows us, it allows you to leverage your uh, your audience outside of social media, outside of uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, using directly uh, using text messaging um, as a way to keep in touch with them and so forth. And that's the way that he's touting as uh, as a way to you know monetize your your audience base, right? So I think that uh, as as time progresses, as music and tech converge even more. There are going to be plenty more tools out there. You talked about whether those tools are going to be decentralized or not. Eventually, those each tool that serves a purpose, it's going to, you know, whichever tool has the greatest buoyancy is going to rise to the top and it's going to be the dominant force there. So, but it will allow independent artists uh, to, to really take advantage and monetize their fan base and their craft. Let, let me just make, make one final comment here, which is I think, you know, in the old days, you were kind of beholden to record companies. Now you're beholden to a platform. You kind of you have right. to go to something, True. and they all have their own pluses and minuses. But I think I think there's you know half the songs in Spotify have never been played single time. Um, so um, there's a risk of getting lost out there at sea. And I mm. think there's two ways to combat that. One is to be one of the first people to be at the next big platform. If Rap Features takes off and you're one of the first artists to sign on you're going to have a huge advantage. Um, the other one is to take an existing platform and subvert it and use it in a way that it was never intended, push against the limits of it in a way that's going to get you attention and get uh, get you noticed there. Because otherwise, you're just lost in the noise. Hmm. We got uh, room for one more question from the audience. Go ahead. Uh, who are you and what's your hustle and what's your question? So my name is uh, Robert Hatcher. I'm a CEO and founder of a uh, tech company here. I'm actually incubated here at Georgia State University. It's called Sound Collide, and basically I'm sal- salivating because you're talking about everything that all the problems that I'm trying to solve. So basically I'm building a uh, social collaborative platform for music artists with a online DAO. So with the uh, DAO, it's uh, two artists can actually record with each other at the same time and they can see each other kind of like a Google Docs. And you know, you can hear each other and collaborate just like in real time, just like when you're in the studio. And the point of this is once the two users finish recording, um, they'll be prompt, they'll be able to sign a music license agreement so they can say that we own the rights to this work and they can submit it to us and we'll do the digital distribution and other music, uh, the mixing and mastering and the digital distribution. So the point of this platform is to help an artist go from ideation to distribution. And I was interested in uh, your criticisms and uh, barriers and from your experience that you may see that we may be facing. Um, I think... So, so are you looking at real-time collaboration or non-real-time? Real-time. Uh, or both. Real-time collaboration, but as far as the recording, it's not necessarily real-time. Right. because the editing it, set right. and mastering and mixing. Right, the collaboration. A, our lab's actually doing, has some active research, kind of not in the commercial space, but mm-hmm. you know, vaguely related. We should talk after the panel. Absolutely. But um, I, think, uh, I think there's a, 
I think there's tremendous opportunity here, and there's some some tools that have, have begun to to mm -hmm. strike the surface here. But but what you gain through these you know collaboration through through a, a tool like what you described is is not just the ability to kind of communicate and, and work together remotely, but it's the ability to track the history of what you've done and, and how different people have contributed yeah. to this. We see this in in in, in you know the role of, of tools like GitHub in uh, in the world of, mm, of uh, software engineering and coding. Um, and, and I think that there's a tremendous opportunity to bring something like that to the world of, of digital music and, and collaboration as well. Um, and, I, and I think that has a real potential to change how people work together. Excellent. Well, you, we, we will have plenty of time to connect offline. I am getting uh, the, the you are done sign from uh, the organizers. Uh, I was ignoring it for five minutes. So we're just going to go on with that. Uh, there's a close uh, quick round the horn uh, to my guests. Uh, anything you want to plug that you, that you want people to know about uh, DGA Provost? What do you want any, your big plug? It, well, I think just tracking the space, it's create, you know, it's, it's moving fast and I don't see the speed slowing down. So, uh, keep so if you, if you're on the, tuned. if you're on the Twitters, uh, throw an at, uh, reply at DJ underscore, uh, provost and let him know about it. Jason, what's your, anything to plug coming up, uh, that, that's happening at, at Georgia tech or in the, your world? Um, well, just my ongoing plug to check out your sketch.gotech.edu. You can learn how to code, learn how to use a doll. Um, share your music. Uh, it's uh, not just for students of, of teenage level. It's for all ages. And your sketch.gatech.edu. All the Georgia Tech is God Tech, but in in the world outside Georgia Tech, it's GA Tech. <laughs> but it makes so much more sense when you're talking about people. Your sketch.gatech.edu. What about you, Drill? What's, uh, what's your uh, big... Give us a... What's your plug? Final plug before I get to my clothes. Hey, the plug is, look, we're, we're fundraising. I've already... Uh, uh, taking a company 700% in growth, and we know I'm an Inc. 500 now uh, alumni, and so I'm ready, ready to do the same thing with uh, rapfeatures.com. Well, welcome to the Atlanta technology scene. We're going to love to have you here. Thank you. All right. So, hey, thanks for joining us uh, tonight. This episode of the Hump Day Exchange entitled The Blockchain Mixtape. Hey, um, thanks to our guest, DJ Provost, a.k.a. Peter Evans, Jason Freeman, Jabril Suleiman, uh, and our strategic partners, that'd be Sandboxes and Tech Retail Strategic Partners, ATDC, Scheller, Keysight Technologies, Marta, and the AT&T Foundry. Be sure to check out TechSquareATL.com for regular stories about TechSquare, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene. Learn more about the Sandbox ATL membership club at SandboxATL.com and book your breakthrough event at BookTheGarage.com. And a final thanks to everyone here in the audience as well as our listeners at home. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love you to share this podcast with your friends. You can find us on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash TechSquareATL. And with that, goodbye. TechSquare ATL is a media studio connecting you to the heart of Atlanta's tech community. Copyright Sandbox Communities, LLC.